Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk to Ken Weeb of Sportsnet about the Winnipeg Jets road trip so far and looking back on the two-year anniversary of the Patrick Line Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. Also, a look back at the divisional round weekend of the NFL playoffs. That's all coming up on the podcast. We turn our attention back to the Winnipeg Jets and welcome in Sportsnet's Ken Weeb, a regular contributor to CJOB. Ken, how are you doing tonight? Good evening, Christian. I'm doing great. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Let's just start with two years ago today. Patrick Laine was dealt to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Pierre-Luc Dubois. What are your memories of that day and and how it all went down? Well, it was a busy morning. Um, (laughs) The night before, it looked like the trade might be happening, but it never got over the edge. Uh, Got up in the morning to go to the morning skate and, you know, Murphy's Law for a reporter, I texted Elliot Friedman and said, I'm just about to leave for the rink, so be on alert. The trade is probably going to happen. And sure enough, during my drive to the downtown arena, there was the trade announced. So uh, that's what I remember about the initial happenings. Uh, and then it was a then it was a whirlwind for the rest of the day. Lots of writing, lots of interviews, and lots of reaction from players, coaches. I mean, it was a monumental day, Christian. I mean, Patrick Laine uh, was a you know fan favorite. Uh, I was there in Buffalo when he was chosen by the Jets. He was incredibly popular, and things kind of went a bit sideways. And after a couple of incredible years, and you know, lo and behold, uh, trade was made uh, for two players who were looking for a change of scenery, and that's exactly what the uh, two of them ended up getting, I guess. And then you know, obviously Jack Roswick was part of that deal too. I know that. All of the Twitter comparisons seem to be forgetting that uh, there was another first rounder involved, and uh, his you know, he's had an up and down stretch with his hometown team. But uh, it was a big day for the franchise, and I mean, in a lot of ways, both sides got what they wanted. But you know, the big you know the the, the cloud hanging over uh, the Jets is what what's the future going to hold after this year for Pierre Luc Dubois? But I mean, he's turned into that powerful two way center that they were hoping to bring in, and. Lani signed an extension, and you know now we wait to see what the future uh, brings. I know that was not what you asked me, but I think anytime we talk about Pierre Luc Dubois, that that's part of the discussion because of the uncertainty. Absolutely, and when you make a trade like that, you're hoping to get somebody that is with your franchise for a decade, pretty well. What do you you thought of Dubois' play since the trade, and more specifically this year? Yeah, I mean, Christian, I mean, obviously when he came over, he got hurt basically in his second game. So uh, the early returns on, on Dubois, I think were, I mean, work in progress. Uh, he never really got healthy that year. Uh, some folks were down on his play. Last year he was excellent, and this year I think he's taken his game uh, to another level. I mean, last year he was a point-of-game player for a good stretch, but then kind of his offensive production faded a little bit down the stretch. Uh, this, even though his engagement was high among the league leaders in penalties and penalties drawn, uh, this year, he's taken his goal scoring to another level, and he's already got 20 just past the midway point. His career high is 28 uh, on pace for, you know, he's on pace to shatter his career highs for points as well. So, uh, you know, this is a guy who's 24 years old. His best hockey is yet to come, and I think the Jets are going to do everything in their power to try to get him signed to a long-term deal. But, um, I mean, right now they're going to just enjoy having him in the lineup and, and do their best to, to make a run and then sort of see where things play out in the summertime. But uh, his game is trending upward and uh, he's rounding into the player that he wants to be. And that, that's the beauty about Dubois. I mean, 
he doesn't care about the points. He knows they're important, but uh, his priority is to become a better two-way player, and that's exactly what he's done in these last two seasons. Do you think he's a good two-way player? He's getting better, obviously. I mean, I, I, you know, you're not saying he's up for the Selkie. I'm saying he has an impact at both ends of the ice. Uh, he's a guy that is getting better defensively as well. He does certain things. Uh, I know some of the metrics don't support that theory, but his ability to go head-to-head with elite-level competition is something that uh, that has proven itself over time. I mean, he's gone head-to-head with Austin Matthews. He's done a great job knocking out the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he's the kind of player that gets better when the stakes are higher, and you know, <laughs> now it's up to the Jets to get to a place where that matters. So... Uh, I think he is improving. I mean, obviously, anybody who's 24 years old has room for improvement. But, uh, I mean, you know, outside of Adam Lowry, I think he's he would consider him to be one of the more dependable centers on the team. I mean, Mark Scheifele's game is improving as well. But I think both those players have uh, taken strides and will continue to try to take further strides uh, as they move along in their careers. So looking at the line that Dubois centers with Kyle Connor and insert winger here over the course of the last really two years. It's been Cole Perfetti the last couple of games. We've saw Ehlers. We've seen all kinds of players there. Who do you think is the right fit for that line? Uh, it depends on the opponent, depends on the time of year. But I mean, right now I'm, I, I like Perfetti on that line. I kind of was, had been calling for it or curious if Rick Bonus would go back to that well. Uh, something we saw quite a bit last year before Cole Perfetti was injured. Uh, I think it's important on two levels. I mean, I think Cole's incredibly smart. He fits really well with, with those with those guys specifically. And it also spreads the speed around. I mean, when Ehlers was playing on that line, obviously Ehlers and Connor are both burners. And then you have a you know real physical force and Dubois in the middle. But for me, that meant that there wasn't as much speed on the line with Mark Shifley. So, I mean, the way Ehlers is playing, uh, I think having his speed alongside Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler, I think it, it provides a little bit more of a, a blend and a mix for them. Uh, I mean, I'm not suggesting it's going to stay that way for the last, you know, 34 games or whatever it is here, but uh, I do think it is something that is worth testing out for a little bit longer. And I could see it happening depending on what happens at the trade deadline. I mean, who gets brought in, who doesn't, uh, that it could be a line, uh, two lines that they would really lean on down the stretch run here. But Again, I think the the beauty that the Jets have shown throughout the course of the season that a little mixing and matching uh, never hurt, but I do expect that Dubois to stay on a pair with Kyle Connor. Their chemistry has really been shining through, like you said, no matter who is on that right side with them. I've seen some uh, talk online uh, just from fans on Twitter, and I don't know how much talk you ever want to put in that, but some people have some numbers to back it up. And that's been the play of Neil Pionk on the blue line. He's been a bit better lately, but have you seen maybe a bit of a sag in his game? What have you, What's your overall thought of the way he's played? Yeah, I mean, Pionk is an interesting case. Uh, obviously, he you know he's one of the highest paid defensemen, and um, you know prior to last season, he you know you could probably easily make the argument that he was the Jets' best defenseman when when Josh had a had a tough goal. Um, for himself, um, you know, at the same time, I think that Pionk's game, you know, last year we know he was playing with a broken foot this year. Uh, the one thing I've really noticed is skating isn't quite the same as we've been used to seeing. So leads me to believe there could be an injury there happening as well that he's been dealing with. Um, his defensive zone reads have been off at times. Uh, I think this guy is incredibly competitive. He plays hard, uh, block shots, but I mean, he's off. He's obviously producing offensively, but in terms of the defending portion, I think there have been some times where you know he's made 
some uncharacteristic miscues. Uh, I think that, I mean, I'll be curious to see, long-winded way of saying, I'll be curious to see if the 10-day break, uh, what kind of impact that has on on his health and his play down the stretch. But, I mean, Neil Pionk's a guy that can have an impact on the game, Christian. I think it's, you know, he's even a guy himself who's asked more of himself, uh, probably thinks he can play at a higher level. And I would expect, I mean, if, in order for the Jets to continue to maintain where they are or continue to make a push in the Western Conference, they're going to need Neil Pionk to essentially be their second or third best defenseman. And I'm not sure that's been the case during the first 48 games. But, uh, I mean, I do think that he's a guy, like I said, it's never a matter of effort with him. But uh, I would say that uh, there's room for improvement there for sure. But, I mean, that can be said for most players on almost every team in the NHL. That is true. Talking with Ken Weeb of Sportsnet, previewing the Jets' second half of the season, looking back at the road trip that has been 2-2 two and two so far, 4-1 losses in Montreal and Toronto, 5-1 win in Ottawa, 5-3 in Philly Saturday, Sunday. What did you think of the bounce back the past two days after the pair of losses? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Jets obviously you know played quite poorly in Montreal. That was obvious to see for everyone. The game in Toronto, they were much better on a number of fronts, except for the glaring errors that ended up in the back of their net. So, I mean, getting themselves a two and two is, you know, steady. They, you would expect them to win those games based on the opponent. But, I mean, that's one thing that I think, too, sometimes uh, fans and even maybe media members at times get in the way of as well. I mean, the teams teams like the Senators and Flyers can be tough to play against because there's a certain level of freeness that comes with uh, being a little bit lower down in the standings and the priorities maybe not the same as uh, playoff teams or teams pushing for first place. So I like the Jets' structure. Against Ottawa, it was quite good for the most part against Philly. Obviously, two power play goals against, that was a bit of a rarity. We know the Jets have the second best penalty kill in the NHL, and they gave up two goals for the first time in a long time after going 18 for 18, I think, in the previous five or six games. So uh, more of unlucky than structural issues, uh, I thought, for the most part. Their big guns got going, and then against Philadelphia, their depth players really came to the forefront, you know, two goals from the fourth line, and then also Carson Kuhlman delivering the game winner. I mean, that was an important uh, step forward for, uh, you know, the bottom six hadn't really been producing a whole lot of offense of late, as you know. Uh, and even, you know, equally important, as Rick Bonus pointed out in his, uh, you know, post-game address, I mean, shot blocks like the one that Axel Janssen-Fialbi had were, I mean, sometimes as important as the tipping goal that he had. So tomorrow night, it's the Nashville Predators to seal off this road trip and then three at home Sabres Flyers Blues before the big break. They could go four and here, right? They could always go four and I mean, it's not an easy, I would say it's not an automatic. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, obviously some of the opponents have been struggling, but I mean, Buffalo is a team that, you know, gave the Jets a lot of issues, even though they found a way to win that game the other night. Uh, they're the highest, one of the highest scoring teams in the NHL. Uh, you know, we know historically teams coming home from their longest road trips of the season sometimes have a bit of an exhale or a dip. So uh, I would expect Rick Bonus to have them at attention for that one. And I mean, I think the fact that they played the Sabres recently would probably help them be on their toes and be sharp. But I mean, it's an important game for them against the Predators as well. The Predators are also in that situation. I think they're about through their three points back going into tonight's action of the playoff spot in the West. So there's a little bit of desperation and urgency in their game. We know Winnipeg or Cody Glass has been playing well of late. I think he's got five points in his last six games and talked a lot about Nashville needing a little bit of secondary scoring of their own, and he's done a nice job on that front. But 
Uh, UC Saros also uh, putting his early season struggles behind him. He's been excellent uh, of late for Nashville. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the Jets, uh, would they love to go 4-0 and and maybe be in first place going into the break? I think that's a goal they've set for themselves now. Can they achieve that? I mean, only time will tell. But I mean, they've put themselves in a very good position here. But uh, ultimately, it's going to be more about how they play down the stretch than in these next four games. But I mean, a couple of good tests on the horizon. I mean, they'll also play the St. Louis Blues right before the break as well, right? That's a team that uh, is going to have to decide what they're going to do with a couple of important pending UFAs. Uh, Doug Armstrong obviously chose to sell in 2018. The Jets were a benefactor then. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing for what we could see leading into March 3rd. But, I mean, I think that Doug Armstrong would prefer that his team goes on a heater and gets themselves back above the playoff line and chooses to keep his rentals and take one more run at it uh, like they did in 2019. But, I mean, that'll be an interesting storyline to monitor as well. Finally, no conversation, I think, can be complete without a talk about what's coming up in early March, and that is the trade deadline because – Hey, the Jets are right now tied for first in the Western Conference. They're one of the best teams in the NHL, and who doesn't want to improve? Where do you see them looking to improve? What is the position they need most to bolster? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll depend a little bit on the price tag involved. Uh, I mean, I still think that, I mean, obviously Bill Horvat would be a, a big addition on a number of fronts. And, I mean, we started the conversation talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, and you know, I've mentioned on a couple of places that, uh, Bo Horvat would be interesting on a number of levels. I mean, the Jets don't necessarily need a center like they did in previous trade deadlines, but he would provide some level of insurance uh, given the contracts that you know either expire at the end of this year or at the end of 2024. So, uh, but I think the Jets are probably more likely to follow the Colorado Avalanche uh, model, Christian, where they they add kind of more of a middle six forward, maybe a you know fourth line guy, and maybe a little bit of stiffness on the back end. Uh, obviously, Man- Josh Manson moved into a top four role. I'm not certain that will happen here, but uh, I could see a guy like Luke Shen, a right-handed shot who plays a really physical game, being on the wish list. I mentioned the Blues. I think Ivan Barbashev would be a perfect fit. Uh, we know Morgan Barron's had a really nice stretch here. I-, I wonder, though, about Barbashev. He's a guy that can play up and down the lineup, and he brings a physical component as well. So I could see those guys kind of being uh, you know, on the radar uh, but still kind of doing a little bit more of a deep dive on who could be this year's version of Arturi, Arturi Lekkanen. I mean, that's the kind of guy where uh, the Jets would love to get a guy with term and maybe a little bit of team control that they could, you know, ex- help extend the window here. I think that would probably be a priority for them as well. But, uh, I mean, they've shown in the past that they're not afraid of going after a rental and trying to sign them as well. So uh, I think they will forward to me is the priority but i could also see them trying to improve the back end as well and i mean that'll mean uh giving up a prospect or two and probably a pretty high draft pick uh, given how the prices have been so far can appreciate your time as always thanks for this and we'll uh, see you when the jets are back in winnipeg later this week thanks for having me christian enjoy the rest of the show and take care now we began the weekend with eight nfl teams Divisional round of the playoffs, usually the best weekend of football in this season. We're down to four now, and it's time to relive all the drama in our weekly NFL recap segment. Let's go chronologically, shall we? Kansas City hosting Jacksonville, looking to get back to the AFC title game 
for the fifth straight year. And what a start for the home team after forcing a punt. They go 13 plays, 83 yards. Travis Kelsey into the end zone. Is this going to be a romp? Well, here come the Jags. Thanks to a 63-yard kick returned by Jamal Agnew. Sets them up at the KC 39. Seven plays later, boom. Trevor Lawrence to Christian Kirk, and this game is tied. And then, oh, Patrick Mahomes has his ankle landed on awkwardly. He's hobbling around. That's not good. 10-7 KC, and the Jags are driving again. But they shoot themselves in the foot. They get to the 25-yard line of Kansas City and then a tripping penalty and a sack. And on fourth and 19 from the 39, they punt. And you really just can't punt against the Chiefs. But they down it at the two. And oh my goodness, that's Chad Henney's music. Mahomes is out of the game for now. And so it's Henney. Great for the Jags' chances unless they somehow allow a 98-yard touchdown drive to Chad Henney. Oh, oh wait, they did? That's That's not great. Jags do get a field goal before the half, so 17-10 KC. Mahomes back in the game, his ankles all taped up, and the defenses take over. Four punts before KC gets a 50-yard field goal to stretch the lead to 10, but hot damn, the Jags! Well, they drive for a touchdown to cut the lead to three. They just need to stop, and they can't even force a third down as the Chiefs go right down the field and put the lead back to 10. But again, the Jags driving. They're still in this. And on first and goal, Agnew fumbles, Chiefs recover, and that's a backbreaker. Jags do get a field goal to cover the spread with 30 seconds left, but can't recover the onside kick. 27-20 the final. Mahomes' ankle is an issue, but the Chiefs get it done. So the top seed in the AFC is through to the conference championship. What about the NFC, where the Eagles hosted the Giants? We saw last week that divisional matchups can be tricky in the postseason, and the Giants just picked up a road win in Minnesota. So they should be able to hang with Philly, right? Uh, No. Eagles take the opening drive right down the field into the end zone. New York responds by driving to the Eagles 35, but on third and three, Daniel Jones is sacked. Recognizing that punting is death, they go for it on fourth and eight, sacked again, and that's pretty much the game. Eagles drive for a touchdown. Jones is picked with some punts. Eagles touchdown. Giants punt. Eagles touchdown. 28-0. Eagles at the half. The second half really didn't matter. 38-7 is the final. Eagles romp and host the NFC title game next week. What a perfect scene for playoff football in Buffalo. The snow is falling. Big-time flake action as the Bills host the Bengals. Damar Hamlin in the house, or at least they say he is. We can't really tell through the flakes. They keep showing the suite on TV. Anyway, a dream start for the Bengals. 12-play, 67-yard touchdown drive. Joe Burrow hits Jamar Chase for a 28-yard score. Bills punt after five plays. Since he drives for another touchdown, and with 3.51 left in the first quarter, it's 14-0 visitors, and little did we know at the time, or maybe we could have figured it out, the Bengals already had enough points to win this game because the Bills don't seem to know how to play in snow, which is a problem because, you know, snows a lot in western New York. Bills put together a good drive finally in the second to get on the board. Bengals answer with a field goal to make it 17-7 at the half. And then the Bills open with a nice-looking drive in the third quarter. 15 plays, 65 yards inside the red zone. Takes over seven minutes, and they... Got a 25-yard field goal. That's not ideal, but it is a one-score game again. But the Bengals put together a real big boy drive. Games of 4, 9, 11, 11, 13, 7, 2, 13. And then on second and goal from the one, Joe Mixon gets stopped, but it's overturned on review. 24-10, Bengals late in the third. The Bills got to get going. Instead, they punt after 75 seconds. Bengals get another field goal. Bills turn it over on downs. Josh Allen is picked. 27-10, the final. Thank God there won't be a neutral site AFC title game. It'll be Kansas City hosting it for the fifth straight year. And finally, a rematch of so many big games from 30 years ago. As the Niners host the Cowboys, a trip to Philly on the line. And defenses ruled the day to start. Punt, 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 pick. That's the Niners field goal. But Dallas responds with a big touchdown drive to start the second. And now remember, last week when Cowboys kicker Brett Maher missed four extra points, 
first time that's ever happened. Well, the Cowboys said, you know what? You can do it. You can respond. You can get better. And then he gets his extra point blocked. And it looks like it was going to miss left anyway. So that's great. 6-3 Cowboys early in the second. Niners tied up with a field goal. Dallas driving again near the end of the first half. What a pivotal mistake. Dak Prescott is picked for the second time in the half. And the Niners turn that into three points and a 9-6 halftime lead. They probably should have been losing. Niners return the favor, though, in the third one. After forcing the Cowboys to punt, they muff the punt. Dallas has it in great field position. But their best running back, Tony Pollard, broke his leg in the first half. And Zeke Elliott back there. It's just not the same. Dallas doesn't really move the ball much. They tie the game at nine with a field goal. Nine-nine after three. Sweet. But San Fran did drive most of the field for the second half of that quarter. And on the first play of the fourth, Christian McCaffrey on a two-yard run is not touched. He's into the end zone. A 76-yard drive that gives the Niners a seven-point lead. Dallas still gets it back into field goal range for Maher. Gulp. But he hits the 43-yarder with over 11 minutes left. Still tons of time. A four-point game. And Dallas just needs to stop. And they cannot get it. San Fran milks eight minutes off the clock, gets a field goal. So Dallas still has a chance. They gain zero yards and punt. Niners just need a first down to ice it. They get it, except the runner goes out of bounds to stop the clock. So the Niners punt with 51 seconds left. Dallas, no timeouts. They need to drive 94 yards and 45 seconds. Don't like their chances. Incomplete, then nine yards, then nine to Dalton Schultz, who doesn't get out of bounds. Clock runs, and then Prescott back to Schultz again. And he doesn't get two feet in bounds. No one was near him. Dude, what are you doing? So six seconds left, 76 yards to go. They cannot hail Mary that. Time for that lateral nonsense. But wait, so, oh, what, why is Zeke Elliott as the center? And there's no other blockers? And the old linemen are out on the wings? Uh, uh. Elliott snaps it. He's blown up. Six-yard pass receiver immediately tackled. The game is over. I am curious what they hope they would accomplish on that play. We'll never know. Either way, game is over. Niners win. Cowboys lose. Divisional round in the books. We're down to four teams in the NFL playoffs. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might